now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great essayist, poet, and philosopher said, our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. President Ronald Reagan, who was well-read, perhaps had this quote in mind when he said, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one that gets the people to do the greatest things. Our guest today is someone who is trying to help leaders bring out the best in themselves and others. Sarah McGregor is a facilitator of leadership development and a certified organizational coach, as well as a lecturer at the University of Adelaide Business School. Sarah's worked across multiple industries at all levels. She has an international background in learning and development and has over 20 years' experience. She's managed and built a broad range of leadership and management development programs serving thousands of people. She's done so in tertiary education, including UniSA and University of Adelaide, not-for-profit organizations, family businesses, and, of course, the corporate sector in countries across Europe and South America and, of course, here in Australia. Now, Sarah, you've lived in about, before we get too deep here in the weeds, yeah. you've, you've lived in about nine countries, I think you told me, and you were, you're a wife and a mother. H- how do all those experience help, experiences help you help others? Yeah, I think thank you so much for having me today. Um, by the way, Matt, uh, I think I've I've been very lucky from a really young age, from nine years old to living in a really small, sleepy town in the Lake District in England, having been born in Scotland, to move to Asia and to the middle of the Javanese jungle. Um, that set off about twenty years of different experiences living overseas and eventually brought me to Australia nine years ago. It gives you the opportunity to build your resilience. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to adapt quickly. You have to be able to adapt to different cultures and different needs. So I think that was that was pivotal in, in growing up. You know, there were times where we moved location and I was in a school for three months. I had no friends. I had no um, connections. I was quite lonely, but then I would have to like look at how can I actually build those relationships? How can I actually create more in my life? And so it led me to have a sort of a view of being opportunistic in life and mm. you're the creator of your own destiny. Um, and having children, why? What do they bring into your world? Mm. I mean, I've got two children, 14 and 15. I would say, you know, I'm sure all parents will say their children were born wise. I really feel like mine were. But as a parent, it's the first time you have an experience working with your children. You you know, it's like a shock to the system. So mine are teaching me new things every day. Um, they've led me to get curious. They've taken me back to what it's like to be a child again, to get playful, to... 
um, they channel channel challenge me and they they actually throw a lot of the work that I do back at me you know telling me mom you've got to manage your mindset mom <laughs> stop playing the victim <laughs> wow. so uh, they they give me a lot of food for thought and they also bring me huge amounts of joy oh yeah absolutely that it's the best thing you can do is have kids in my opinion yeah um I I just want to uh, it's interesting because uh, this is off the topic and a tangent, but I, my father, we moved a lot, a lot, a lot as a child myself. My father was in the Air Force. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then an air traffic controller, then he became a cop. So we moved around a lot till I was about in high school. And I guess I went the opposite way. I, oh. I, I uh, became very introverted. I didn't even ask a girl on a date till I was, I don't know, 26, I think. Yeah, why? You know, I mean, I got asked out because I was in sports and stuff, but I was terrified. So it's good that it, it's interesting how in life, you know, we can we can take our experiences and make them into a positive, like you did, yeah. you know, and say, oh, okay, well, I got to make the most of what I have or what I right now, or you can be like me and just uh, you know retreat. Yeah. So it's uh, good. so if I was Australian, I'd say good on you for not <laughs> retreating. But I, uh, I but you're Scottish, so I am. We yeah. Scots, we're yeah, yeah. very resilient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I jest. But there um, can be only one on this show. <laughs> mm. uh, it's the McGregor and me, mm. see. Um, but no, we, we um, I think it, it's down to the sort of environment you're in as well, and the school and the culture that you you're in amongst, and. Um, that's one of the things that taught me so much about uh, leadership as well, that if you're unhappy in a particular situation, move, create different circumstances, um, build and do something different. Mm. Wow, that's words of wisdom right there. Well, Sarah, you work with people in both groups and on a one-on-one basis as a coach and then leadership development practitioner. Let's talk about the work that you do with individuals first. before that, though, let's kind of lay the groundwork. What, what ex- ex- personal experiences made you want to get into that field? Okay, so I I'd worked in executive education that you mentioned earlier at the University of Adelaide from coming to Australia nine years ago, and that's really about um, developing organisations with leadership and management development programs. But I found one-to-one coaching was um, really impactful in helping people make significant progress on big challenges in their life, whether that be their day-to-day lives, their career, their family. Uh, And I deal with a lot of people with, you know, generally incredible leaders in the community, but still finding aspects of their lives challenging. So um, I had gone through 32 years of chronic pain into my 40s. Uh, The first time I experienced it, I was nine years old. And it was actually when I was traveling to live in Asia. And I was on a Boeing 747 with this sort of mind splitting migraine. Um, And I would say that most days or every second day for most of my life up until I was 42, I was in pain. And that led me to think about I'm really stuck in a medical model here. I'm focused on taking really strong painkillers, opioids. So I was taking a lot of codeine. There must be more. There must be more here. And so that experience led me down a path on a lot of personal development, not just the leadership development that I'd done through the work that I was involved in. And it started to help me see that there's a different way of viewing the world. And um, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. 
Um, so that's what led to me wanting to help others. I wanted them to become the brightest light that they could be um, and create change so that they could impact other people's lives too. So basically you're saying physician heal thyself yep. and heal thyself first. Yeah. Is, is, is that what you're, is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that is a hundred percent what I'm saying. If you are not healed or working on healing yourself i don't think we're ever fully healed things Mm. crop up from time to time when we don't expect it but when we work on ourselves we're far better placed to be able to help others and to bring that better version of ourselves to the table when we're supporting others as well whether that's in the workplace or just in life in general Mm. well on our call the other day you were talking about uh helping people regulate their emotions which is something i think we could all work on uh, you know, and it benefits both us both individually. It benefits the organizations we're involved in. It benefits the people around us and, of course, our families. How, how, why do you do that and how do you do that? Yeah, well, the reason why I do that is because um, over the many years where I experienced chronic pain, I wasn't really aware of the impact emotions were having on my life and the stress of the day-to-day. So that that whole thing of you see people reacting and responding to situations without actually being able to calm and regulate themselves um, was, was something that I experienced. And I felt like more people require support, more people need that help in the community. Um, so that that was the start of it. And um, in organizations, I want people to become and in life more strategic in terms of understanding their emotions, understanding their thoughts instead of denying themselves and avoiding them or distracting themselves from them. Um, so I, I, I'm really about supporting people to work through them. Um, to understand that their thoughts drive emotions, which then create sort of energy emotions. So how they then um, perform at work or how they then communicate with other people. And so one of my primary focuses is helping people to become a lot more self-aware instead of just being reactive to the circumstances around them. So if the first step is to be self-aware, okay. That's the hard part. If that's the hard part, (laughs) then what's the next step to them being able to manage their emotions? Because... I found myself in the past, I get angry at myself for being angry because I know that Ooh, I shouldn't be angry. You're resisting, you're resisting <laughs> yeah, yourself. I, I know I shouldn't be angry, yeah. you know, about something so small. So then, it, it, yeah, that makes it worse. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I say that I'm just smart enough to know how dumb I am, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> which in some ways puts me ahead of other people, but in other ways, not so much. So, yeah. what's the next step? Oh, I think. You know, I think it's important to acknowledge that in the first place that you're mm-hmm. angry mm-hmm. at yourself for being angry, you know, mm-hmm. and recognizing that you're not being particularly forgiving to yourself um, and helping yourself see that, first of all, what's actually going on within me that's creating the anger in the first place? You know, what am I triggered by? Mm-hmm. So you might have heard the term trigger before. I use it a lot. Um, you know, what is it that stimulated that reaction in me? What of my needs that I'm not aware of are not being met that's creating that frustration. Um, We're sort of governed around about 95% of the time by our subconscious mind. So there's a huge amount going on subconsciously that we're not aware of that um, leads us to behave in the way we do, to have the habits that we have and the behaviors that um, we undertake that many of which can hold us back and kind of hold us captive. And so the first step is really acknowledging, hey, yep, I'm angry allow me to be present with that for a moment, acknowledge it and understand, start to understand where that might be coming from. Hmm. 
Okay, well, that seems like some pretty powerful stuff there. Yeah. Uh, we're going to build on that here in just a little bit, and we're going to be back here with Sarah McGregor, uh, not a Highlander, uh, <laughs> right after these messages. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Sarah McGregor, leadership development specialist and coach. And in the last session, we were talking about uh, how you help leaders regulate their own emotions, because that's the first step is manage them, lead themselves, then lead others. Yeah. So that's that's really about becoming more emotionally intelligent and becoming more resilient so that you can make more proactive strategic choices in business. Hmm. Okay. So so the first step is underselling yourself, uh, or as Shakespeare would say, to thine own self be true. <laughs> That's right? right. Absolutely. So, and then the next step would be uh, fill in the blank. Mm. So the next step would, would ultimately be about understanding your mindset and understanding, you know, how you're showing up, not just with your emotions, but how you're showing up in conversations with people, how conscious you're being. I'm I'm really all about powerful commu- conscious communication as well. So recognizing that in any conversation that you hold in business or as a leader, you're leaving a footprint, you're mm. leaving a mark and mm. you're impacting people's lives. So mm. um, recognizing in advance and being as conscious and aware as you can be of what you're about to say, how you're going to say it and what you perceive might be the most impactful that it can be. Um, I think is incredibly important. In the beginning of what you just said, I think you were trying to say, and I just want to underline this, and maybe I'm correct, maybe I'm incorrect, you yeah. can correct me, uh, is be present in the conversation yeah. if you're a leader. that It's important you get your own stuff squared away, uh, using my vernacular, yeah. a, and uh, you're present in the conversation. Don't be a leader when you're talking to somebody where in your mind you're going, nah, 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 and you That's have no right. idea. Or as they say in Australia, you're off with the fairies. Yeah, you know? yeah. you're there to serve others. You're mm. there to support others. As we said earlier, if you're not looking after yourself first and foremost, you're not going to be showing up your best for others. But when you're with others, it's important to be absolutely present. Most people think they're good listeners. Mm. And then when I start doing work with them, they start to question, hold on a minute, maybe not as good a listener as I thought I was. Mm. Um, It's really about the power of active listening and also the power of presence and holding space for people. So you can actually identify different perspectives other than your own. What do you think the next, next important thing is here in managing our emotions if we're a leader? The, the, there's there's not chronological steps per se. That's not how I see it. But it's about um, being able to create space for yourself. If you're not creating space for yourself um, and you're running from one thing to the next, we're living in an incredibly complex world at the moment. Um, everything is interconnected. We don't really know what um, our actions will create. We can speculate, but the consequences, the future doesn't really exist yet, right? Mm. Um, somebody picked me up on that on a social media post I, I wrote yesterday. So we really have to be aware about consciously creating our future and understanding that um, any step that we take today is going to impact tomorrow. Mm. Um, so create space for ourselves. If we're stressed, if we're burnt out or we're frustrated, then that's 
you know, that's sure as hell impacting other people around us. Mm. So you're saying uh, – so I, what I think you're saying is uh, – Basically, the Stephen Covey uh, process of sharpen the saw. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you uh, aren't suffering from burnout as a leader. Make sure that you're spending enough time on yourself that you're at peak capacity uh, because you're the you're the battery that your team has to plug into. That's the analogy I used to use when I was running a business. Is yeah. A, is when you're the leader, you're the battery. So they need that to plug so into true. you and leave fired up. They need to leave more fired up than when they uh, – in a good way yeah. than when they first walked in to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, it's so, so true. And you want to create space. Like what's, I read something yesterday about back-to-back meetings. I can guarantee that half the meetings that people attend are not necessary or um, there are different ways of going about you know, spending time in organizations. A lot of people are reacting and responding to the copious amount of emails that come in now without actually sitting back and thinking about, what is urgent? What's a priority? Is that absolutely necessary? And that's all contributing to this high level of stress that business people are experiencing. People in life are experiencing, not just business people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're sort of social media. I've got my phone in front of me here. It's, you know, we're bombarded with things day in, day out. So taking that time to self-regulate is really, really important. In fact, when I was upper middle, I don't know if I would be upper middle management or lower upper management, but when I was a new division manager in a a $100 million corporation, I used to say, I am meeting man. Because I used to be like, what the hell am I going to all these meetings for? Can I, do I get, I, I'm glad I get paid so much to just sit in meetings. I thought I was supposed to do stuff. Yeah, so that's know? the concern, isn't it? If you're in the meetings all the time, what's right, going on right, with the vision or the innovation man. or the creation yeah. of new things? I go from meeting to meeting. I'm so important. That's right, yeah. All right. Well, um, okay, so let's move from the individual to actually the organization. Yeah. So how do you help organizations, uh, you know, how do you help these people help their organizations and help them? Yeah, so my time in executive education was really working with, particularly with um, HROD teams and um, the likes of general managers, CEOs, and um, building learning and development programs in the management and leadership space. Um And so what I'm doing is I'm looking at them holistically to identify what their needs are and looking to build a culture of consistency around leadership. So when an organization um, says to me, look, I'm interested in developing a tier of leaders, um, maybe that's just the senior leadership team without actually understanding that the same language, um, the same culture has to be built across the organization that concerns me. Um, you're not going to get as much traction that way. So my work is really partly advising, but consulting on where the gaps are, what requires to be undertaken, and then building a program to meet their needs. And a lot of that will be about um, helping people understand that leadership isn't about position. It's about um, an act, an act of leadership. So anybody can be a leader at any level in any organization. And it's about how can we build this culture so that people are leading at the right times or as as best times they can and have the confidence to do that. Because um, in hierarchical structures, you've got a lot of people who are maybe at the lower tiers of leadership in organizations don't necessarily have the confidence to speak up, to challenge, to provoke, 
um, to bring their ideas to the table. And so it's really about how can we create that culture that enables that to happen and that we where we a culture where we can have conscious communication where we can communicate with each other without stabbing each other in the back and um yeah there's always going to be political dynamics with groups of people but at the same time it's about how can we work constructively together mm. how do you create that atmosphere what are some keys to doing that um so consistency is important mm-hmm. so shared language understanding the vision um understanding the values of the organization but also understanding your own values and the fact that they might be different and therefore how can you work with those different values to create change or um to create an organization where you've got that um psycho- psychologically safe environment um building confidence among people to speak their truth without people reacting to it um, without people being um, incredibly reactive frustrated or angry just listening to different perspectives and being open to different ways of thinking so they are some of the key sort of ways of working with people and helping organizations to understand that you know humans are complex individuals <laughs> um, we're working in a complex world now so let's actually start to respect that complexity instead of putting those sort of simple transient solutions in place that don't address the real problem. Mm. What would you say, uh, my opinion, and yeah. you might be like, you're a caveman. Okay? <laughs> no, go for but it. But my opinion is if, if the organization doesn't have the same values as you, you should leave. I mean, it's that, it's that, that's that simple. I mean, uh, I mean, find something else. So, I mean, I, I think so you need to be I, I, um, on the team, as it were. I mean, and, and 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 it's not a mean way. It's just you know, yeah. I, I think that that's important for you to be in feeling good about what you're doing. I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, I like that question. It's a little bit pokey. Mm. Um, I would say that. Imagine a large organization. How big was the organization that you worked for? Uh, I don't know. Uh, tens of a couple over 10,000 yeah. at least. I don't know. So not every single person in that business is going to have the shared values. Um, they're going to have difference in opinion around values. But it's around about how can we respect the values of the organization but also work with our own and how can we work collectively and, and respect those of others. Um, I do work with a lot of people on their values. There are some people who are so misaligned Mm -hmm. that when we kind of go through that process, we identify that actually, yep, it's time to make a change. I have to be focused on something that's going to give me back what I'm looking for in life. And this is not the route that's providing that for me. But in many cases, there are people who have been able to work with their own values, which compete to a degree with those of the organization. But um, it's not as simple. There are other things that that is giving to them. Well, you talked in, in earlier, I think, in one of the articles of yours I read, or maybe it was a conversation we had about you have to have your heart and your mind aligned. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 think there's, I think there's some lines there. Maybe we should pick that conversation up when we come back in just a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah, And absolutely. also talk about how you can help lead Uh, help organizations lead themselves. Mm. Uh, We'll be right back right after this with Sarah McGregor. Thank you. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Sarah McGregor. 
And uh, in the last session, we were talking a little bit about having your heart and your mind aligned, mm. you know, and how you try to have uh, work with leaders and organizations to make sure that's the case. And I, I guess, uh, and this might sound like I'm going over the top with this example, but I mean, what I was trying to say before is I, I don't really think like if you uh, are a member of Greenpeace, you should get a job at a whaling company. Yeah, completely you know, so right. I, I, mean, I think <laughs> where's the line there? I mean, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, no, it's a great question. And I would agree with you on that as well. It's about um, as an individual, you understanding your values and, and finding balance and being comfortable with where you're at with your values. A lot of people don't understand their values. Mm. Um, and that's at the heart of a lot of challenges in organizations. Once they start to do that work and uncover what's important to them in life, then they can actually start to make sort of tractable change around what they're, you know, meeting their own needs. Mm. Like freedom is really important to me. So having to be sort of chained to a desk in a business nine to five, I've done it in the past. But, you know, I feel like the energy just becomes depleted out my system. I like to be able to get out, to roam about, to move about. That's really important. Um, and so I feel like I'd be a caged animal if I went back into a business full time and I felt like I couldn't get out. So what you're saying as a Scots person is freedom. Absolutely. That's what, that's what stuck in my head there, the brave <laughs> yeah. Freedom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's very important. Although although I must say that, you know, as I've been sitting here and listening you say about <laughs> I, I, I really feel like I'm talking more to a Canadian. So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, the mix, <laughs> it's the mix of living overseas in, mm. in multiple different locations. Like a lot of S Scottish people would think I was either English or Australian now. Mm. So, yeah, it's, a yeah, bit, it's all that, about perception, isn't it? Really? I have that challenge as well, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, I know that you talk about adaptive leadership. Can you tell us what that is and, and, and how that's important and, yeah. and, and, and why that's something you focus on with your clientele? Yeah, so the reason for that is because I feel like it's the one way of helping people to become more conscious um, humans. And a lot of um, humanity is now faced with real intractable complex challenges and adaptive leadership is one way of working towards addressing some of those wicked um, problems. Of, I'm sure you've heard that term before, um, that not just organizations face, but societies, um, cultures face. And it's um, really at the heart of it is how do we help um, people become much more self-aware? How do we help them um, be able to work in an environment where they can have those really robust, open conversations where there might be some heat and tension, but enable us to surface lots of different perspectives? So we often as individuals hang on to our one truth, almost like we're fishing. Um, and we kind of get stuck on that. And so it's really about how can we as individuals start to challenge our own way of viewing the world and look at different options in order to make progress on some of these challenges. Because what's been working in the past doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the future. Mm. Well, I, I, I believe in democracy what Winston Churchill said. And I, I might be – I think I'm saying this correctly. Mm -hmm. But uh, – he said something to the effect of that he believed that democracy was the absolute best form of government except for everything else. So why am I saying that? Well, what I'm trying to say is I think it's really important in the workplace for you to have a open and and being able to everybody share their opinions, everybody make uh, their ideas known. But at what point do you say, okay, everybody's had their say. This is what we're doing. 
How do you juggle that line there? You know, so everybody feels like they've been heard, but, you know, great. We got to move in one direction. This is the way we're going. Yeah, so I think, like, there's a few considerations there around how much time you've got, how urgent is the challenge, um, what's important, what's the priority, who has to be involved. And you could involve the entire organization. It's not going to be conducive to Mm -hmm. um, the best outcome, depending on the situation. So there's a whole range of um, sort of strategic considerations that you have to very quickly work through. Maybe not. Maybe you've got time and space to do that in order to make an informed decision on um, who you involve, whose perspectives you want to bring to the table. And then also having the confidence and the ability in quite often unknown territory, unknown territory to actually make a decision, make a choice and be able to adapt. I mean, again, if you look at COVID and what happened during the time of COVID, um, leaders had to adapt quickly mm-hmm. and they needed to be, be able to move without necessarily knowing all of the data and make choices. And that didn't make everybody happy around the world. Um, and a lot of people lost out and there were challenges that businesses faced. But um, at the end of the day, I wouldn't have liked to have been one of those leaders having to make those choices. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that and, and recognize that um, they were a, a, attempting to adapt in a very volatile, ambiguous environment. Fair enough. Well, I, one thing that uh, I noticed that you wrote uh, about is that you're a real believer in intuition and mm. the importance of that. Uh, when it comes to leadership, self-leadership and leadership of uh, organization. Can you tell me why you feel that way? Yeah, I can. So I've always, I don't know if it's because I've um, lived in so many different countries and studied languages and I got really tuned in um, when I was attempting to speak in different languages to understand what people were saying to me and make myself understood, sort of observing not just their body language, but the environment around me to make sense of what was going on. But I've always had this interest in um, human behavior and intuition was really about sort of reading between the lines and the guidance that I receive that enables me to make um, choices where I don't necessarily have all the answers. So for me, it's really important. Um, you, uh, f- For a lot of people, they don't necessarily believe in intuition, but I think it's something that we can all develop. It's, it's a skill that we can all capitalize on if we listen to what's actually going on, that little voice inside that you know is easy to avoid or is easy to not listen to. Would you say that's intuition or your subconscious that knows that's worked the problem out on your own, mm. on its own? Well, you could say there are subconscious things um, that mm. may be coming through. But for me, there's a sort of a gut instinct in my in my um, body. I, I sort of have an energy that I feel um, when I'm talking to people. I get a sense of that. Um, I don't think that's just subconscious. I think okay. it's beyond the subconscious. So, for example, if in, in advance of meeting people, I can get a sense of... Um, their emotional state Mm -hmm. and I can tap into that and kind of get a sense of what that might be like and then sure enough I meet up with them and um, you know they tell me you know what's going on and what's happening and that that sort of just allows me to sort of create a bit more space and be present for them and and recognize what I might be walking into I'm not saying that I trust it all the time but I certainly um, use my intuition Mm. my father always said that you know he was never wrong unless he doubted himself. 
Mm. <laughs> Maybe well, that's the, the case. See, the, the mind is incredibly powerful and the subconscious mind is even more powerful. Mm. So um, in the sense that, you know, we're driven by a lot of doubt, a lot of questions, a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of narratives that we place on um, different scenarios in our lives, which which constrain us. And um, sometimes they're just that little niggle that says, go for it, regardless of what all the data or what everybody else is telling you out there. Now, how do you feel you can help out organizations? I mean, you do workshops, you do one-on-one. What else do you offer? So I do, yeah, I do uh, workshops. I run programs with organizations and I will also do one-to-one coaching and group coaching with um, individuals in organizations, either mid to senior leaders. Mm -hmm. And I work with them with an organizational coaching style, which is very much supported through um, the International Coach Federation mm-hmm. um, and is really focused during the GROW model. So what what are your goals? What results do you want to achieve? What options have you got? And, and you know, what's your will? And help them set goals and make progress. Um, but I also work with them as a developmental coach. So I support them in challenging them on their mindset, challenging them on their limiting beliefs, helping them understand what assumptions they haven't uncovered yet in the scenario planning that they're they're going um, through helping them to work in complexity helping them to um, uh, create a bit of space instead of reacting and responding so what is a limiting belief and and uh, how do you handle those yeah so a limiting belief could be anything that you're telling yourself that is limiting you in uh, making progress in your life so um, I'll give you some examples that I hear a lot. I can't do that. I'm I'm not able. I've not got the skill set. I'm never going to be able to move to Australia. Uh, I'm not going to make a good mum. You know, it's all of those sort of stories that you tell yourself, beliefs about yourself that are you hold really tightly that if you don't unpack them, again, they keep you stuck. Um, and when I work with people, I can help them work through that and reframe um, their beliefs and help them understand what's holding them back and why it's holding them back. I hear it in the language that people use. So what you're saying is you try to help people get out of their own way. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Help them get out of the way. Those coulds, those shoulds, those I ought to or we need to, you know, they become I will, I must, I'm doing. So um, I know that you're passionate about also helping out women coaching women specifically yeah can you tell us about that and what areas you feel you can help out the ladies yeah well i feel like um i i am a woman first and foremost really yeah you know because we're blind here (laughs) at radio italia uno and treat everyone the same (laughs) we didn't notice yeah, but I feel like I've, um, you know, I've gone through I'm 47. I've gone through a lot of years of experience, particularly um, living globally and overseas that I can I can share with other women, support them. I've had experiences in my corporate life and career where, you know, I've not had the confidence to speak up. I've not been able to speak truth to power. I've not been able to deal with um, male authority in certain scenarios. And so, um, a lot of the work that I do with women is helping them to develop their confidence, helping them to um, deal with the doubt that they are experiencing and helping them to s- sort of smash through that glass ceiling, for want of a better phrase. All right. So how can the audience, uh, 
if it, I'm sure there's probably more than one person listening that might want to contact you. How can they contact you if they'd like to potentially work with you in the future? Mm. Well, um, they can check me out on my website, sarahmcgregorcoaching.com. Um, they can contact me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, Sarah McGregor. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, again, Sarah McGregor, Sarah McGregor Coaching. So I've got a lot of people who contact me through that mechanism, um, not just in Adelaide, but globally. I do coach people um, not just in Adelaide, but Australia-wide and internationally as well. All right. Well, we're going to be back in a little bit with Sarah McGregor. We're going to talk about how uh, you know, leadership in volunteer organizations can be improved. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about a few key giveaways, uh, get <laughs> not giveaways, not getaways, but takeaways <laughs> uh, from tonight. So we'll be right back with you. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. In the small amount of time we have left, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the stuff that you do with uh, volunteer organizations? Because you really, that's one of your passions is helping their leadership uh, become more successful. Yeah, I absolutely love working for not-for-profits. I spent nine years before I came to Australia working for a nationwide UK organization called the National Autistic Society. And it really gave me a thirst um, for supporting people in the not-for-profit sector. Most importantly, because there's people giving so much of themselves to deal with some really incredible challenges that society faces through the not-for-profit sector. So um, I do coach CEOs and their teams. I provide them with support and do program work with them. But most importantly, I like to volunteer my own time too. And I'm on a board at the moment for the Riley Foundation, um, which is based in Adelaide and supports families navigating the child protection system. Um, and I'm all about doing meaningful work. And I think more of us can be getting out there and doing that to support our communities, to support society and to help the most vulnerable people. And um, some of those intractable challenges that I was talking about earlier, like climate change um, and do our bit. Mm. Wow, that's that's so that, so great. The Riley organization that you were talking about, I mean, that stuff that I've seen in Australia with uh, children. Yeah, it's definitely worth an effort, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of tragedy in, mm. in the system and um, with what the families experience. And our aim is really to ensure that children, the early intervention support is provided to families so children can remain with their biological parents. So we're minimizing systemic impacts across um, other systems in um, South Australia and making sure that those families have the support they need. Awesome. Well, tell us uh, in just like three minutes here, give us, uh, give us the highlights of what you want the audience to carry away. Like if you, you could put ideas in their head to make the world a better place or improve their lives, what are the one or two or three, whatever you feel you need, keys that you want them to walk away with here tonight? Okay. So the first one, numero uno, mm. is – be the change that you want to create. So start to see yourself as the change. If you don't change, nobody's going to do it for you. So if you're unhappy, you're unfulfilled, or you want to create different opportunities, start to work out how can you do that? What support do you need? 
and start to become that change and take one step forward. So that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Second one is invest your time in learning and growing um, and start to shift your mindset. If you're stuck or you've got a fixed mindset and um, you can't see the possibilities, life's you know a bit of doom and gloom at the moment. There's, there's a lot of negativity out there in the press, these challenges that we're facing. Think about how you can actually do more to support that and create meaningfully in a way to to help um, with those with creating that change. And then the third one is impact. So what impact can you make in your life and other people's life um, to become a better version of yourself? Not today, but tomorrow and next week and just keep moving and morphing and shifting and challenging yourself and new things will start to flourish and you'll start to connect with different people um, in the world as well. I connect with people all over the world. I, I surprise myself that because of the work that I do, people contact me from the US, the UK, asking for guidance, advice, or just to say thank you that, you know, things that I've shared on social media help them. And that's why I do the work that I do. Because it's not about me. It's about um, sharing knowledge, sharing ideas, and hoping that if I can change one person's life or help them change their lives, then um, the world's going to be a better place. All right. Well, one more time, tell the audience how they can contact you if they'd like to. Yep. So you can contact me on through my website at Sarah at Sarah McGregor Coaching um, dot com um, is my email address, and um, you can either contact me on Messenger via Facebook or in DMs on LinkedIn if you connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn. All right. Well, I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for being here with us today, Sarah. Thank I, you. I think it's been great. I want to thank Mark Aston for his ongoing uh, mentorship. Uh, But most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening. And as always, I'm going to leave you with a brief inspirational message. I want to share with you a story that I heard almost 30 years ago. This person that the story is about said something that I've thought of often in my life and has helped me through some challenging times. Years ago, a young man named W.B. Mitchell, 28 years old, and who just recently got out of the United States Marine Corps, who had a pretty cushy job on a tram car in San Francisco, was in a horrific motorcycle accident. In his own words, he said he became a, quote, human bonfire, unquote. At the time of the accident, everyone who saw this accident was frozen in horror, except for one man, a car salesman, who saw the accident from across the street and grabbed a fire extinguisher. He ran across the street without looking, without thinking, without talking, without asking permission, and put the fire out. W.B. Mitchell's face was literally burned off. His fingers were, were burned off. He had third-degree burns over 65% of his body. He woke up two weeks later in the hospital, and he said his doctors told him that, quote, maybe he'd live, unquote. But basically, they said that in the tone of, why bother living? W.B. Mitchell said that's how he felt himself. Well, anyway, he had 15 surgeries. He had 10 to 12 blood transfusions, and for months, his treatment never stopped. He could only sleep half an hour at a time before the next treatment or procedure. 
After four months of this in the hospital, he was finally able to go home. He couldn't do anything for himself. Everything hurt. Even the wind hurt him because his skin was so sensitive. How did he respond? By feeling sorry for himself? By becoming bitter? By giving up? By saying, why me? Well, after a long and difficult recovery, he completed his training as a pilot. With How he did that without thumbs, I don't know. Then he co-founded a company called Vermont Castings. This company was sold in 2014 while it was turning over 100 million U.S. a year. Four and a half years after his motorcycle accident, he was piloting his plane on a business trip, and of course, it crashed. He was paralyzed from the waist down. How did he respond this time? I mean, really, come on. A plane crash paralyzed him after he had his face basically burnt off, all his fingers burnt off, and third degree burns over 65% of his body in a motorcycle accident four and a half years before. How would you respond? Did he just give up? Did he kill himself? Did he wallow in self-pity? Did he become, did he become a bitter recluse? He could have. I mean, he was rich. He could have just stayed in his wheelchair and yelled at his servants. What did he do? Well, one day he was sitting in his wheelchair and he looked down at his legs and he realized, hey, I got my fingers burnt off in the motorcycle accident and I can't use my legs and I've got these toes down there. I can't, they don't do anything. So he convinced the doctors to amputate his toes and sew them on his hands so he would have fingers on his hands. What else did he do? Well, about two years after the plane crash, he became mayor of the town he lived in. As mayor, he stopped a billion-dollar multinational corporation from building a mine in his town because of the anticipated environmental impact on his town. He claims that he saved a mountain, and he did. That town today, Crested Butte, Colorado, is called, quote, the last great ski town in Colorado, unquote, and is known for its natural beauty. Then, as most people do that decide to sew their toes on their hands and use them as fingers, he decided to run for Congress, U.S. Congress. What were his campaign slogans, you might ask? Well, one of them was, send me to Congress. I won't just be another pretty face. He wrote a book on his life philosophy called, It's Not What Happens to You, It's What You Do About It. He became a motivational speaker, author, radio host, and television host. He said, and I've remembered this and thought about it often in the last 35 years, before I was paralyzed, there were 10,000 things I could do. Now there are 9,000. I can either dwell on the 1,000 I've lost or focus on the 9,000 I have left. He also said that if he accomplished just a few hundred of those, he would be one of the greatest and most amazing human beings who ever lived. What do we learn from W.B. Mitchell? Well, one thing I take away from his story is the importance that one person can make. And I'm not even thinking or talking about W.B. Mitchell yet. I'm talking about the car salesman who acted quickly and decisively and without thinking and used the fire extinguisher and saved W.B. Mitchell's life. That act has allowed W.B. Mitchell to impact thousands, if not perhaps even millions of other lives. One person that W.B. Mitchell impacted and actually became friends with was a young governor from Arkansas 
who later became the 42nd president of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton. Bill Clinton has said on more than one occasion that there's not a week that goes by that he does not think about the words that W.B. Mitchell said that I've just told you. Again, we learn not to focus on the 1,000 things we can't do. We need to focus on the 9,000 things we can do. W.B. Mitchell teaches us by his words and his actions that it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it that matters. He reminds us yet again that there are two types of people in the world and two types of people listening to this radio show. There's the kind of person who will say, why me? Poor me. My life is over. I can't go on. Why try? It can't be done. And then there is the kind of person who will focus on the things they can do, who will get up when they're knocked down, and will not give up on their dreams and their goals, and eventually will be victorious. Maybe beyond their wildest dreams. The question is, as always, which one are you?